Welcome to Periop Talk, the perioperative-specific podcast where we discuss how to make surgery safer one podcast at a time. From Q&As with AORN guideline authors to interviews with OR nurses just like you, our goal is to always share practical information for you to take back to your OR. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. I'm Linda Grove, CEO and Executive Director of AORN. I'd like to thank you for being with us this evening. Based on your comments and suggestions, we're going to have a very interesting discussion. Let me introduce our guests for this evening. First, we have Jim D. Alfonso. He is the Executive Director for Professional Excellence and the KP Scholars Academy for Kaiser Permanente in Northern California. He began his career as a surgical technologist and credits the OR nurses that he worked with for helping him find his calling into nursing. He spent over 25 years in perioperative nursing and progressive leadership and has spent the last 15 years in executive leadership roles ranging from the chief nursing officer and chief operating officer to his current position. He is adjunct faculty at the University of San Francisco where he received his doctor of nursing practice with a focus on executive leadership. Welcome, Jim. Rose Sherman is nationally known for her work in nurse leader development. She has 25 years of nursing leadership experience with the VA health system and is an Emerus University professor. Rose is the editor of the AONL journal, The Nurse Leader, and writes a nursing leadership blog, emergingrnleader.com. This is read by thousands of nurse leaders each week, and her current work is with health systems on recruiting and retaining a nursing workforce during these challenging times. Welcome, Rose. Thank you for both, both for joining us today. So those of you who took part in our fireside chat in December will remember that there were some common themes. We heard such comments as, I'm not as resilient as I once thought I was, and I am so tired of it all. I just don't know what to do next and where to look. When we asked you to tell us things that you've learned in the past two years, we also heard some positive ideas and reflections. Like, you know, it's really good to give others grace, but we need to remember to give ourselves grace also. And I love this one. I learned how much I love and treasure my staff. As we prepared for today's chat, I thought about this quote frequently because I think we all have learned how much we love and treasure each other and our profession in spite of some of the challenges. Today, we are advancing the conversation to look at proactive approaches that are happening on the ground and are helping staff and leaders move forward in a positive way and with innovation. So let's get started. Jim, I'm gonna start with you. 
When you and I spoke recently, we discussed the environment that's led us to this point. Healthcare teams have been living what's felt like an unending period of loss. Facilities have experienced high turnover, retirements and staff shortages that are all related to the COVID crisis. And the teams are feeling exhausted and out of energy. One area that we talked about was the Watson's caring model or the Caritas. Can you tell us how these concepts that center on relationships with patients and families can and should be used with ourselves and our colleagues? Yes, thank you, Linda. And uh, it's a real honor to be here with everyone. So I, um, I'm deeply appreciative to be invited to participate um, and uh, want to honor my, my co presenter, Rose Sherman, as well. She's awesome. So I know she's mm -hmm. going to have a lot of great advice for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I would start by saying that um, a lot of the problems we're experiencing now weren't necessarily um, the beginning of burnout. Um, you know, it, burnout has been around for a long time. Um, and I think uh, we've had to, episodes through our history in nursing shortages and other challenges along the years. But it just seems like everything came to a real um, header um, in the past couple of years, COVID, obviously. And now I would say, as we're emerging from a pandemic to endemic shifts and getting back into surgery and other things, we're now faced with Ukraine and this global stress that uh, many of us are feeling. So uh, understanding that burnout really is not from overcaring. Um, you know, the, the science behind burnout is around our um, unfortunate um, response to the stress and strain and this kind of closing down, <laughs> our shutting down of our heart. And when we do that, you know, we're kind of blocking out uh, the connection with others, um, which the caring science piece of it tells us is essential to caring, uh, caring for self which um, the theory teaches us the nurse must care for self first. It's kind of first principle in order to be able to care for others. Um, and I would say that goes to leader, especially uh, in these trying times, which is they are in the middle of all of this challenge and, and uh, have to navigate. Mm -hmm. So the chaos, complexity, and uh, the stress and, you know, leads to other symptoms of depression um, you know, exhaustion, anxiety, fear, uh, all of these things are, are kind of swirling around us. And it can make for a very difficult work environment. Um, and through our work, uh, what we found is uh, it was, it is nice to think that we have developed some resiliency over the years. And I think many OR nurses would agree. You know, uh, we used to say you develop a tortoise shell to the stressors of working in the OR. Um, I think today we would say you need a flax suit and Kevlar. Um, but, you know, I think in respecting the fact that that is not necessarily what defines resilience. Um, and what we've done through the Caring Science programs is brought in evidence-based practices. And some of those have included heart math or mindfulness strategies that uh, help us uh, learn the uh, neuroscience and the pathophys kind of response to stress and how to mitigate for it. And uh, you can actually see evidence of this. So using biofeedback and other methodologies. Um, my own doctoral work was around CNEs, taking a group of CNEs 
and introducing them to these best practices to see how we could use evidence and theory to actually improve their ability to flourish as a nurse executive. Um, and uh, obviously that has been spread to the front lines. We have a lot of practitioners over the years that we've developed. Um, we too have the same challenges and same issues of everyone across mm -hmm. the country with turnover, retirements, uh, the, the stop start and uh, the constant um, uh, challenges regarding resurgence and, uh, and now the, the, you know, no room to breathe, picking back into high gears so that we can uh, offer surgery to those who were denied surgery um, because of COVID. But all of this environment is, is a culture that you want to create where people feel connected. Um, and we have to go for the power of we um, versus the power of me and, uh, and work on building the team up. And I think that's where our efforts go. Thanks, Jim. And I know that you have used Caritas at Kaiser mm -hmm. to support your staff. Um, you know, you, when we talked, you mentioned morning report, particularly for Periop, uh, as one of the best vehicles to connect with the teams and then the caring moments. Um, tell us how someone that's listening today can put those actually into practice in their institutions and would help establish that sense of hope and resilience. Yeah, thank you, Linda. I, I think part of what I would want to share to people is um, there are all kinds of ideas and opportunities out there to help um, bring teams together. And caring science is one way to do that. Um, and there are a lot of best practices. Some of the things where we've looked at is obviously an alignment with our belief system. And if our belief system is we must stay connected, we must support each other, uh, we must take care of ourselves and they take care of those around us, um, then everything is focused around lifting the team up. And some of the things we've discussed and some of the best practices we've experienced are, um, you know, at the board in the morning when we're getting report, there are opportunities to create caring moments, celebrate staff, celebrate each other, offer uh, words of praise, uh, maybe a reading, an uplifting affirmation statement, um, maybe just something wonderful that happened. Someone got their certification, Yahoo. Um, there's some sense of coming together because there's nothing worse than to go to the board, get your assignment or to pick up your assignment and go to your room and you've missed an opportunity to bring people together. Um, then it goes from there because really all the opportunities just unfold um, when you're scrubbing you have a wonderful opportunity to do some mindfulness practices and to really think about, um, you know, the case that you're entering into the patient, the family, the, the, the whole environment, um, and not just to, um, you know, go from one activity or task to another, but to do so in such a way that you feel grounded and anchored. And these breathing exercises, um, that heart math is something I would recommend people look at online. Um, you can learn about uh, mindfulness and breathing practices, but also generating positive images. We know the neuroscience of the brain is if we uh, think more positively, um, our biochemistry shifts um, and uh, we can change some of the chemistry of stress uh, and mitigate for it um, by generating positive images in our mindfulness practices. It's not just about standing there and <laughs> gazing into space, so to speak, you know. Um, and from there, I mean, we have a, a host of different things, posting different things at the sink, posting them in the room, uh, affirmations, quotes, jokes. You, I mean, 
the one thing I love about OR nurses in all the years that I, I've been in the OR is their incredible sense of humor. Um, and we, we know something is wrong with our team when we see the humor start to go out the window. Um, and so we've got to keep these things alive, this sense of, uh, of humanity, of who we are as humans and needing each other. Um, and that um, there are things like carrying lounges that could be created, places where people can get away for a little break. Um, and maybe teams making sure people do get away for breaks. Checking in with people during the day, you know, more not just about, you know, did you get your break and other things, but just how are you doing? Do you need anything? Is there anything I can help you with? Um, and doing that for each other, not because someone told you to do it or it's an assignment, but because you're looking out for each other can really lift the energy of the team. Um, I have a laundry list of things that could be done. There are virtual um, uh, times you could have staff meetings, uh, always begin things with a caring moment, an opportunity for people to share. Uh, listen to the staff you know, and teams, you know, give people a chance to talk because a lot of people want to know one, I'm heard um, and that people care for me. Mm -hmm. uh, one study that was done uh, recently was published in June of 2020, um, you know, and 21 was around making sure that people understand that one, they have a voice, two, that you have prepped them and prepared them appropriately to be safe. So they have a safe environment. They feel cared for and nurtured uh, and they feel protected. Um, and if you can do that for each other as much as you would do it for yourself, um, there are many opportunities throughout the day. And I would say in many different ways that we all could create together. And to finish it off, I would say the best thing to do is to get a small group of people together who want to create a little caring council in the OR to think about activities and things and, and best practices and read articles and bring things in for people uh, to, to keep and care for the entire team. Well, thank you, Jim. That, that's, that, you just gave us so many ideas there. Um, I, I think at least my head is just swimming with, with some ideas that could be implemented. Rose, let's, let's turn to some of the 150 workshops that, that you've been doing. Um, can you tell me what are you seeing and hearing from the teams and, and what type of support are they indicating that they need most? Well, I think uh, kind of segueing from what Jim said, I think one thing that we're really seeing is that uh, leaders are, are struggling now to rebuild their teams. I mean, a lot of teams have fallen apart. And as Jim said, people are not as connected as they once were. I see Vanjie Dennis in the chat has written, can't wait to connect with all of you. I think that's why everybody's on this program tonight, Linda, is that some of those connections with each other have fallen apart. So I think that's definitely one thing. I think the other thing is that uh, I think that leaders and, and nurses want to know, number one, that they're not crazy, <laughs> that what they're seeing out there is a really turbulent and, and turmoil environment and that they're not alone. I mean, that's the other piece of it. So context in these workshops, uh, one of the things I've been doing is explaining that we need to look at this through the lens of a healthcare disaster because that's really what this is. And it, it has led to a lot of mental health and well-being challenges. And it's not surprising that we're seeing the anger, that we're seeing the confusion, that we're seeing the negativity from staff. That's what happens when people go through trauma. So I think this looking at 
the experience through the lens of trauma-informed leadership is important. I think the number one challenge that, that all of the health systems are having right now, quite honestly, is just retaining staff in this very turbulent environment. I don't think that we can, uh, can even begin to address how critical that problem is, especially with our younger staff. And then I think helping staff to achieve well-being, some of the strategies that Jim talked about, it's not a one-size-fits-all. That's, that's, that's what health systems are finding. They have a lot of initiatives in place, but the, the problem is that a lot of times staff aren't using them and they're, and they're frustrated over that. And they say, aren't we doing enough? And well-being is much broader than we think sometimes. And then I think that the other, probably the last thing that I'll talk about is, is the burnout because we have a significant amount of burnout. And part of the problem, if we look at the Maslach researchers that study burnout, what they tell us is number one reason for burnout is workload. And we have structural problems right now with workloads. So we are really, uh, you know, as you look at your volumes increasing in the OR, I mean, we're kind of setting people up for burnout. And, and that's, that's very stressful, I think, for, for leaders in health systems right now because they know that. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of health systems and, and the work environment, we have five generations in the mm -hmm. workforce now. That is extremely complex for anybody to manage and, and to understand. About the nurses that are new to the profession, what are their expe expectations about their jobs and how is it different than previous generations? And, and what do we need to do to support them so they will want to stay in this nursing profession? And, and experience the joy that so many of us believe we've experienced in nursing. You know, it's such a good point, Linda. And, you know, I, I was just thinking about this today because we're in March and starting May and June, a lot of our audience out there are going get, to be getting these new graduates into their, into their operating rooms. And, and here's the thing. Our, these are our generation. Most will be Generation Z nurses under the age of 25. Um, they have very high stress and anxiety levels, even without COVID and even without moving into our environments. And, and then you think about the fact that they have been remotely educating for the past two years. One of the things that we're hearing is that this uh, skill gap is just widening, 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 and, and even passing state boards is problematic for some. So, uh, you know, their transition into nursing, those that have transitioned over the past two years, quite honestly, it's been very, very rocky. And if you look at that latest ANA Pulse survey, you see that 60% of our nurses under the age of 35 report that they have been traumatized over the past two years. So I think as I look at what we need to do right now, I think psychological safety is the number one thing. Uh, we need to realize they're not coming in with the skills that, that they probably need to have and, and understand that. And also that they, they're coming in with very high stress and very high anxiety levels. So we have to, as leaders, really do the best to really help them feel psychologically safe, listen to their fears, really offer them the mentorship and support that they need, do that career coaching and help them maximize their strengths to really help them in their practice, because it is extremely challenging right now, Linda. You know, Rose, that's exactly what we have heard. And in, in listening to that, we are going to be presenting a new program in 2022 
that's called um, peer-to-peer solutions. And it's in direct response to what you've just talked about, what leaders and members have been saying about the, the compassion fatigue and the moral distress that they're feeling um, and how those have led to the crisis of burnout and staff shortages. We're really looking at this program uh, from the perspective of helping people find solutions by sharing from each other some of the innovative techniques and, and issues that they have uh, really discovered that work and mm -hmm. work well. And, and you know, you just mentioned that shift in attitude and about how mm -hmm. uh, and when nurses want to work. And I noticed a couple of the chats that came mm -hmm. up, the work-life balance, and I call it work-life blend because I don't think there is any balance anymore. I think we blend work and life. Uh, if we're trying to find a balance, uh, we probably will be very disillusioned. And um, But I think we can try to blend it. And so let's talk a little bit about some specific innovative staffing programs that you've seen in the hospitals and, Amer and the uh, ASCs, because they're important too. And have they been effective and, and how have they implemented them? Well, you know, I, I've seen a real change even in the last six months that I've been doing these webinars uh, because I look at uh, Idelis as young nurses want uh, work-life balance. And, and that is what they're telling their leaders. They're saying, you know, they're coming in and saying, I don't think I can work 12 hours. I think I want to work six hours. I want to work eight hours. I want to work four hours. In fact, I want to work part-time, you know, and that's that's stunning because we've never seen that with young staff before. But I think in some ways, what they're trying to tell us is that their well-being is not good and they're trying to manage their well-being perhaps by working less. So I think organizations, I'm really seeing organizations uh, now looking at how can we how can we offer four-hour shifts? How can we offer six-hour shifts? How can we bring some of our retired nurses back and have them work four-hour shifts or six-hour shifts? Uh, how can we do this for our young moms who are trying, who are struggling with childcare? Because that's the other issue that we have out there. Uh, you know, our young nurses are struggling. Childcare is not available. It's very expensive. And they're trying to figure out how to do this. And so I am starting to see that. I'm starting to see the Baylor program come back. Some of you on the program are probably familiar with this. It was a program that was introduced in the 1980s. You work two 12-hour shifts on the weekends. You get paid full time. The advantage to the Baylor is when you think about these young nurses, they don't want to work weekends. Um, or if they do want to work weekends, they don't want to work during the week. And for young moms or nurses that are in school, the bailer can be a very good solution. So that that's another uh, good program that I'm seeing. And I'm also starting to see what we call returnship programs. And that is organizations actively reaching out to nurses that have retired or maybe left the workforce and saying, we want to bring you back in. If you need to upskill, we'll help you do that. And we'll also accommodate your schedule. So I'd say much more accommodation of schedules. What I would say though, Linda, is interesting is that our scheduling packages that are out there right now, like Cronus or the, the one, some of the ones that are in Cerner, haven't came up, haven't really kept pace with what nurses want in terms of the hours that they want to work. So that's the struggle for leaders is to come up with scheduling. Well, it is. And, you know, I think it's how can we help the leaders think about their own burnout and exhaustion and more important, what can they do to move forward as they are being bombarded and feeling like they can't meet all the expectations of their staff? 
um, these six hour shifts or on call. The on call is another issue that I think is beginning to bubble mm -hmm, up. It's mm -hmm, a real mm -hmm, issue. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. never been able to solve the on call. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, but what can the leaders do what, what, about themselves and how can they kind of rise above some of this? Well, I think we, we have reason to be concerned about nurse leader burnout. Uh, if, we look, if you look at that last AONL study that was done, 20% of leaders indicate that they are either planning on leaving their positions or at least thinking about leaving their positions. So we know that we have leaders that are feeling as burned out and as exhausted and maybe even more so than staff, because here's the thing that the nurse leaders have really been the shock absorbers uh, for staff. They're kind of have the administration, then they have the, the nurses and, and some of the conversations that leaders are having with their staff right now, leaders tell me are the most difficult conversations that they've ever had in their careers. Very emotional. Some of their staff are having a very hard time and leaders are trying to figure out, they're not behavioral therapists, they know that, but they're trying to figure out how to have these conversations. So I think it's important, first of all, for leaders to set boundaries around their work. I think that's critically important. You cannot work 24 seven. You're never gonna be, you will not be able to, uh, to, to maintain that type of, sustain that kind of a schedule. You have to refuel yourself. You have to take some time off. Some of what I'm seeing is some organizations now are actually or, uh, offering support groups for their leaders where the leaders meet every week with psychologists. And I think that that is a very good idea to debrief what they're seeing with one another because then they don't feel so alone. And the other thing that, I, that some organizations are now doing is they're hiring interim managers for the purpose of relieving their leaders so that when their leaders leave for vacation, they can really leave for vacation. They're not getting all those calls and things. So those are some of the strategies that I've been hearing about, but I think leaders have to really work very hard to take care of themselves and everything that Jim talked about with connecting with staff, I think, and, and self-care are things that leaders need to do for themselves as well. Absolutely. And I, I, I think, Jim, I'm going to uh, come back to you because several of the comments and questions that came in for today mm -hmm. focused on from leaders on how can I share some of the challenges that I'm having and the experiences that I'm having with my staff. I don't wanna burden them, but would it help if I could just have a conversation with them and, and share in some way, uh, help us both, or is that totally off limits? I think you're on mute, Jim. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I think that invites a couple of different um, perspectives from a leadership standpoint. Um, you know, obviously you'd want to uh, break down hierarchy. I think what we hear from teams today is, you know, they don't want this sense of, you know, that they are just a means to somebody's end. Uh, nobody wants to feel that way. And I think in carrying relationships between teams and leaders, uh, the leader has to develop some skill set at vulnerability and being able to uh, be vulnerable with their teams and how to do that. Uh, and maybe uh, working in, as Rose said, there are support groups for leaders, coaches, mm -hmm. and mentors. We actually provide executive coaches for all of our CMEs. Um, they have access to that, but we have mentorship programs for managers. And so they're assigned a buddy, a mentor, 
um, that they can work through some of these strategies of, you know, how do I share, um, you know, some of the things I'm coping with, but maybe not just a download, which is another challenge in our workspace is, but not just a download of my problems, but, you know, here are the challenges and some of the barriers that I'm seeing, and I would love your input into it. Um, and I think together we're much stronger than, uh, you know, individually. So let's, let's talk about, um, and I'd love your support. Uh, like when we say get a little group together to talk about morale and how to do things to lift the spirit of the team, um, that can be equally effective with other challenges and issues in the OR to invite people who are motivated um, and want to engage and actually enjoy that as, as not a form of distraction, but as a way of feeling they're contributing something uh, to a solution. Um, I think in our past, we're really good uh, as far as identifying problems. And I think you said it, Linda, previously, there is a conscious shift away from identifying problems to solution seeking. And uh, leaders work in these chaotic, complex environments. Uh, the challenges are there. You're the traffic cop stuck in the middle of all of this activity, and you've got to make sense of it. And if you feel um, uh, like you're standing there all by yourself, then you need to reach out to get support from the team, from your peers and others, uh, to, because this is not a lone wolf issue of going through this alone. That will bury them. It will literally bury them. As far as a leader goes, when you feel like you've got to take all this on your shoulder, the yoke of it yourself, um, then uh, this is putting you in an untenable situation and leads to this, I, I think Rose mentioned this, just severe mm -hmm. exhaustion yeah. and, and uh, inability to, you know, bounce back. Um, so there, I would say the solution is um, there is no alternative but to look at how you can engage your teams more actively, proactively, and working with them on solutions together. You know, I just saw a comment, Jim, and it kind of relates to what we're talking about here that Carolyn wrote about feeling defeated, at feeling like all she's doing right now is hounding her young staff, which I'm hearing a lot from leaders. They say, you know, if you, I feel like I have to tread so lightly in this environment right now that people get offended so easily. And I think that's why, Carolyn, it's really important. One of the things that we haven't done, especially with our young nurses, is let them know that we have cultures of feedback. That's how we professionally grow. We professionally grow through education. We professionally grow through getting this feedback. I'm not hounding you. I'm helping you to professionally grow. I really think we need to do a better job of that, but you're doing absolutely the right thing, Carolyn. And if you had 50, if you had, a, if I'm sure all of the hundred leaders that are on this session today are nurses would probably tell you that they oftentimes feel the same way that you do. And so um, I think the, the fact that you reached out and said that uh, really struck me because it is it is so important that that leaders really verbalize these concerns to one another. And when you do feel defeated, that you go and talk to somebody about it and say, "Am I going crazy, or is this something that is what I'm doing? I'm on. I'm, am I on the right track?" I think. Mm -hmm. So you know, I one of the things that we cannot um, miss talking about today are travelers. Um, I think it is an issue that everybody is coping with. Um, the reliance that some facilities have had to put on travelers, 
uh, and the fact that more staff nurses are moving into these positions. There's a disparity in pay um, and it's very frustrating for the staff as they work alongside one of the travelers. And it is impacting budgets, no question about that. But Rose, are you seeing some positive approaches to how facilities are retaining their staff or better integrating the travelers that um, really are hints on how we might manage them in the future? Yeah, I just want to acknowledge too that we have a couple of comments. You know, I see Sherry said she has 70% of her team are travelers and that's, that is a very challenging situation to be in. And I also saw uh, comments about pay and that's something that leaders are really talking with me about as well. They say, you know, I look at this traveler pay and I'm trying to manage all these travelers and most of these travelers are making more money than I am, you know? And so we understand there's frustration out there about that, but I think most perioperative leaders have, have, and most leaders in general, really understand that travelers are going to be part of their staffing, their core staffing, probably for an extended period of time. There's a couple of things I recommend uh, that leaders do with travelers. One is, I think it's important that if you have travelers come in, that you have an onboarding discussion with every traveler that comes in, uh, really talking about the unit culture, about your expectations, and even tackle the issue of travelers who try to recruit staff from out from underneath you. I think we have to be direct with travelers and say, listen, you know, this is a problem. You're working for me right now. I have this contract. This would not be helpful. Please don't do this. I think that that is important. Um, I, so I see that leaders are really looking at travelers a little bit differently. And some are saying now, okay, it's going to be part of, of what our team moving forward. How do I better integrate these travelers into my team? How can I get them to extend their contracts so they're longer than 13 weeks and they're on our team for an extended period of time? And also, uh, I had a leader tell me the other day, she said, I interview every traveler and I ask them, what would it take? Uh, for you to, from, from, from me to get you to come on permanent staff with me? What would that take? Because I really would like to know. Now, I think wise organizations, I see them doing stay interviews right now okay. with their valued staff. I think that's critically important to really understand from valued staff, what kind of initiatives are going to be big satisfiers to keep staff there, like childcare or guaranteed break coverage, or maybe not taking call at all. I mean, those are the kinds of things I think are, are really important. But we are starting to see some large health systems develop their own traveler pools. And I think that this has really big promise. Uh, we have Atrium that's doing it. We have Common Spirit that's doing it. We have UP, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center that are doing it. What they're doing is they're paying their own group. These are employees of these systems that are moving around the system. So I might move around to 20 different ORs, but I'm still an employee of Atrium. I still go through an Atrium orientation. I get an Atrium evaluation. I have Atrium benefits, but I have agreed that I will work where I'm needed. I will get paid more for doing that, but I will work where I'm needed. So I, I think that's very promising. And interestingly enough, Linda, I was on a Reddit forum with travel nurses who actually thought that was a very good idea. They were talking about Atrium's plan. So I, I think they're onto something there. That's great. What about retention bonuses? Uh, anybody um, start, you know, I know there's one facility that wrote a note that said that they, um, they give people X amount today yep. and then and then they stay 
two more years, they get another amount. So it's prepaid, so to speak. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pre-promised. And it's not two years anymore. Most with younger nurses, you, you almost have to do it quarterly. You know, <laughs> If you stay the next quarter, you get a bonus. And the next quarter, you get a bonus. So I think, I think that health systems are looking at that because they do realize where they've really fallen down is on the pay discrepancies between the staff they're recruiting and their loyal staff that have been with them for a long time. Uh, so I, I am starting to hear a lot more about uh, recruitment retention bonuses for staff and, and pay adjustments. That's the other thing that we're hearing is really looking at pay adjustments. Well, this conversation has been really interesting. Let's take a look. Uh, Renee, do we have some questions for Rose and Jim that are coming through in the chat box? We, we do. We have some great comments. Um, it's fun to watch adding into the great comments from Jim and Rose. I would say a couple of things, lots around generations and how do I deal with young um, and lots about um, like how to engage and how to get people's attention, listening and versus education. That would be one thread. Um, and, and then some of the generational things as well. Um, those would be a couple of threads to pick up on and maybe add in a little bit more. Jim, you had some nice comments about just how to set that stage for good listening, I think, if you want to add some more to that. Yeah, I, you know, part of the, um, you know, multitude of ideas and options are at an organizational level, but, you know, I'm coming from a cultural perspective of, you know, like bringing in students in particular or bringing in travelers. Uh, and I saw that someone commented, you know, our travelers get the same onboarding orientation as our uh, full-time staff. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, for us, I think it's, it's about the culture and setting the expectation. So, you know, the first thing I would say is wherever you are, you are, uh, and you can decide to do something different tomorrow. Um, nothing is holding you back from attempting to shift the culture or to do these things. Uh, and quite frankly, you don't need the long book of, of ideas either. I would enlist people in, in some of this, but I'll give you an example. Um, if you want to build resilience, not just as, as quote unquote, a response to COVID and all this stresses that we have, but because you believe it is like the fourth vital sign, that resilience is just as important as taking an oxygen. Um, and uh, so if resilience is a core value of your team, then everybody that comes into our organization is oriented to caring science, heart math, self-care, the importance of it. Um, there are many things as an organization that they offer that um, are not coming from nursing per se, but you know, apps, um, that are help, um, focused on wellness, um, all kinds of perks and things that are done, childcare support. Um, those things vary from organization to organization, uh, but the minute they enter those perioperative doors or come walking into your department, um, you set the tone and consistency of how you want the culture to be. Um, and if it is around healthy practices, positive communication, um, you know, negativity is, is not just a, a bad attitude. It's an unhealthy work environment. Um, and we all know what it can be like when we're working around a negative person all day. It'll suck the life out of you. Um, so we need to address some of the behaviors from a perspective of care and concern for the whole team. 
um, and uh, work together on strategies to uh, address the bad behaviors when they show up, because that's the reality uh, of our world. Everybody's coming in their wholeness to the care environments and they're bringing their entire life with them and all their challenges. We're not uh, able to compartmentalize mm -hmm. effectively. Um, we are the sum of our parts and we wanna honor that, but we also have expectations culturally. Uh, and I think that's part of the accountability piece. Uh, you know, a lot of people think caring science and creating these cultures that are nurturing and supportive are woo-woo and soft and uh, passive. And quite frankly, uh, I, would, I would really challenge that thinking because I think if you have strong values and you, they're anchored in evidence um, and you have a, a commitment as a team to, to uphold a culture, then you hold people to a different standard. And that is not soft. Sometimes that's the challenge of the, the soft stuff is the mm -hmm. hard stuff. Um, and that is sustaining these cultures. And ORs can be a real challenge. We all know that. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of opportunities, um, I would say, to feed and nurture the team, um, you know, to, to keep them well, uh, but also bringing in these new um, travelers, bringing in, you know, because, you know, they're not a permanent part of your culture. Um, and that sometimes can be a real challenge, but you need to have very clear expectations about while you're here, you're, you're a part of our family. And you're an important part of the care milieu for our patients. And uh, we expect the same standard of care, excellence right across the board. Um, and uh, although, um, you know, I can tell you uh, being from Northern California in particular, we were the tip of the spear with COVID and we're not prepared for it. Um, and some of the first cases uh, ended up in our uh, San Jose facility and were overwhelming. Uh, so our organization really took the brunt of COVID and uh, it was very, very stressful. And it meant stress as far as getting the appropriate resources needed, shifting, cross-training, uh, moving resources. I'm sure you've all been through this. Um, and I think keeping a positive attitude through these very challenging times was not because we did anything different when the crisis hit, um, but because we were prepared when it did come. Um, you know, you could, for us, we have regional fires. We've had incredible, um, you know, traumatic events in our environment. Um, and I'm sure each of you in your communities have your own share of challenges. Strikes and other things can also be a huge challenge. Um, and so, for us, it's been a 10-year journey. I can tell you that the um, investment in it, regardless of whether you start tomorrow um, or whether you start talking about it as a cultural shift that you need to do, um, it will pay for itself tenfold in retention, in happiness, joy, and meaning with work, uh, connectedness to your patients and your service scores, all the things that everybody tells you are falling in the toilet <laughs> the whole time we're in these horrible events are dependent upon connected and plugged in staff mm -hmm. and they have to feel cared for. Rose, anything you'd like to add to, to those comments? You know, you know, the only thing I'd probably say is one thing that, that I've learned in, in working with health systems across the country is that there's geographic context to everything that you do. Yeah. So, um, you know, you may hear about a best practice that works really well someplace else. It doesn't necessarily mean 
it's going to work well in your setting. But I do think, as Jim said, you got to start trying some things. And, and I think too often in nursing, we wait till we have the evidence before we take action. And this is one of the situations now where we, you can't wait for the evidence. It's not out there. Um, you're going to have to try a lot of what we call very small little bets and see what works in your setting and what seems to uh, gain ground. And, and that's what you that's what you do. And I, I see in the chat that many of you have put things that you've done in your organizations and found, wow, this really did make a difference. And that and you need to keep doing that. Great. Thank you. Renee, any another uh, comment or question? Sorry, I had to come off mute. Um, there's some good conversations about um, just younger learners, but another another would be um, sort of the incorporating caring for self. And I'll add my thought in it as role modeling how mm -hmm. staff cares for each other. Absolutely. Um, and um, then, so that's one. And then uh, I'll leave it at that. That's one to start with. I can offer a really good example of when okay. it's not being role model. <laughs> I am a stickler for people sending out emails on Friday afternoon at four o'clock <laughs> with some deliverable due at 4.30. Um, and uh, I would say for off hour, uh, because I happened to catch up on my hundred of emails over the weekend, I said replies to everybody. I don't know about you, but I certainly know about our leadership team. They are so dedicated and devoted that they've got their iPhone and they're reading all of these emails you're sending them and they're feeling like they need to respond. And uh, there are certain things that are not role modeling that you care about people having a pause, having this time away from work, even if it's the weekend or one day or one shift, you know, leave them alone. And uh, this is a huge um, leader shift because, uh, you know, we want to get all this information out. We've got a lot of things to do. And if I get it out of my email box and I send it to someone else, it's like the monkey on your back, you know? Um, so I'm just, you know, that's a really good example of consciousness. And, you know, when you're setting a culture and when you're talking about making a shift to make it a better place to work or a better place to, you know, but what is it? Blend your time, as Linda mm -hmm. said, uh, then you better be conscious of all the little, little things you're doing that may be sending absolutely contradictory messages and maybe creating stress. Um, and I was sharing with uh, Linda and Rose before we uh, joined the group. You know, I had a conversation with with one team member who was you know, dealing with issues. You know, that's life. And, uh, and they want to talk to somebody. Um, but I could see that the person literally was levitating out of the chair and, uh, you know, and helping remind that person, you know, you're, you appear really wound up over this one. We've got to help settle in, you know, to the issue at hand. What do we need to do? What are the next steps? And have someone who gives you that reflective feedback, not as a gotcha, which I put in the text, you know, it's uh, in our chat. Um, if that's the culture you've created, then you got to correct for it. I'm not doing anything because I want to point out what you're doing wrong. And I never give you credit when you do all the great things, then shift that culture. And if you're sending body language, um, Linda uh, shared, you know, obviously the, the unconscious uh, 
sending of nonverbal body communication can be devastating to a team. Um, and it can be the complete opposite of what you want. Um, but you know, you don't have an awareness or you haven't worked through it, or maybe you haven't rehearsed with a team member to say, I got to deliver some difficult messages because that's a part of our reality. Not everything roses. Right. Um, and, but we do have the ability, mm -hmm. uh, to work together to say, am I, you know, how's that coming across? Is there a way I could present it differently? So it could be heard because I'm going to tell you the right, right now with all the stress and, and the exhaustion and everything else, people hear through filters. So you want to make sure that whatever messaging as a leader you're putting out there, that the people are able to receive it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the credibility of the, of the sender is so mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. in, in that receiving. And, and I think we, we lose sight of that sometimes. Is and they're watching you all the time. They're watching oh, you all the time. Every absolutely. move in the yep. parking lot, at the grocery store, you know, <laughs> you know the, the, the eyes of your OR are on you. Absolutely. Yes. One of the things, and we just have a, a few minutes left. One of the things that uh, Jim, I believe you mentioned in Rose, I'd like to ask you if you've seen any of this is the serenity room um, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. some facilities uh, talk a little bit about that. What, what is that? Where is it located? Uh, and who really is responsible for it? Who takes well, the ownership for it? Yeah, great question. Uh, and, you know, di different facilities call them different things, but those who are embedded in caring sites call them Caritas lounges, uh, serenity rooms, you know, uh, meditation room. And I've seen all kinds. Of, I've seen people use existing chapels for space like that. But the best ideas I've heard from the OR were taking old radiology film developing rooms that were no longer used and repurposing them. Um, they literally got rid of all the print stuff that they don't need with packs anymore um, and uh, have created space where space did not exist necessarily. Um, but, you know, these, you can have them near the OR. They don't have to be in the OR. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've even seen one, one hospital that I worked with years ago um, had literally didn't have space. You, you know, you can, you can create things together. They took curtains, like remember from the old uh, ward days that we might have curtains between beds or where we do pop-up units um, and they created a corner in their lounge uh, with headsets a recliner music a little uh, a little waterfall feature thing um, they did uh, lower lighting in the corner for people um, and just gave people space I literally had one OR director one time a surgeon was late and was very similar to what I was describing, you know, wired and went into the pre-op area and got everybody all, you know, uh, bouncing off the walls and let's go, let's go. Um, and she pulled him aside and she said, I want you to go into the Caritas lounge and I want you to sit there for three minutes. We're going to take your patient back. We're going to do all, but he came out after that experience, reluctant, obviously to go in, uh, but, but they had a relationship. And he listened to her and he came on and he said, you know what? That's exactly what I needed. I just needed, I had a hard time getting going this morning. Had kids to take, drop off at school, had problems with my car. Then I'm in traffic, blah, 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 whatever the issue. He said, I really appreciate you reminding me that I'm bringing this energy into this experience. And I don't want to set the day off like that. Um, so these are wonderful examples, but I can tell you there's lots of, um, articles, websites, and other things that talk about these lounges. 
But on the other side, I'm the flip side, I'm just going to bring something up because I've talked with a couple of health systems that have them now. And uh, it's been very disappointing for some of them how little they are used. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that is uh, a real concern. And part of it is, it kind of gets back to uh, this idea that if I'm not fully relieved from my assignment, I'm not going to walk into that room <laughs> and clear my head. Um, so, you know, there has to be the support where I know that I don't have something that I should be doing that minute if I'm going in there. And and the other thing that health systems had thought when they set these set these rooms up is that there was a possibility that staff might actually go in there at the end of their shift to talk, to debrief, you know, tight to kind of bring themselves down and decompress right. at the end of the day. And they're not seeing that so much. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably worth really investigating with nurses uh, about the use of these rooms and how to, how to best promote them to staff, because it's not a given that they'll actually use them. I think that's no. a really good point. I think, you know, it, it has to be inbred into the culture mm-hmm. that, that, that quiet time, that, contemplating the the opportunity to just sit for five minutes by yourself uh, is so is an important part of our culture yes. and then I, I think that will make a big difference in how they are perceived and received mm-hmm. if you don't value it and you don't model it and you don't promote it and you don't have conversations about how important it is on a frequent basis or like this director, you don't redirect people to it and say, you know what, I think you need a timeout. <laughs> and you can say it in a <laughs> I was going to say, way. it sounded like a timeout share to me. <laughs> it is like a timeout. Uh, when the surgeons got engaged in, in this thing, the humor behind it was mm-hmm. they fell in love with it. And they yeah. actually bought lounge chairs uh, for the <laughs> nurses with the vibrator thing built in them. I mean, so the engagement of the team, yeah, you have your naysayers and you've got you know, people who are martyrs by nature, you know, we have a lot of OR nurses who, you know, if they're not seen and they're not at the front desk, then they're not busy. And that means they're loafing. Um, and we go on a hunt for people who seem to disappear for five minutes, whether they're in the bathroom or whatever that is. But, you know, we've just got to change our thinking around things and be a little more compassionate with each other and, and you know, and change up your, uh, your, your attitudes and your, the way you view the world. Because that's really what this is about. It's changing the way you view the world, you view your problems, you view this stress, you view Ukraine, you view COVID. Um, And if you can embrace a different view and understand that these things are, we don't have control over them. You know, all our nurses and nurses in general want to control everything. And if anybody has had children, you know you control nothing. Nothing. And it's an illusion and it creates stress, you know, let go of it, you know, being able to release it. Well, this has been such a great conversation and especially the comments from the chat. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's been great. I've been trying to read them as, as we've done uh, going through this and, (laughs) and Renee was very helpful in bringing some of those forward you've really underscored that there is a need to help perioperative leaders, both in addressing the challenges of supporting teams through this um, compassion fatigue that we're feeling and and to relate to finding more effective ways to improve nurse retention. Uh, We know that that is an important part of of what we're uh, experiencing right now. 
in the end, we're really talking about rediscovering a passion for perioperative practice and perioperative nursing. Um, and I want you that are here as attendees, we have heard you, we are listening to you, and we are acting on your comments and your suggestions. As I mentioned earlier, we are developing a unique new program for leaders that will really look at uh, direct responses to the issues that we've been talking about during this fireside chat. If you're thinking about someday moving into the manager role, or if you're a new to leadership, or if you've been an executive for years, I encourage you to consider taking part in this program. It's called Peer-to-Peer -peer Solutions, and you see the uh, slide here. It's a different kind of a leadership program. We really want to bring this uh, program to you with the partners that we have uh, from our sponsors. The premium sponsor is Intuitive and the supporting sponsors 3M, Stryker and the AON Foundation. This will be a symposium series of live events where we'll draw on innovations that many of you have suggested and are actually practicing. And what is it that you're doing to meet all these challenges? There are some wonderful opportunities. You've been very innovative and we want to make sure that those are shared. It kicks off in New Orleans with a reception on Tuesday evening, March 23rd, and then a half-day seminar on Wednesday March, uh, Wednesday, March 23rd. And we will have a keynote speaker and a series of uh, workshops and a series of, of sessions that you'll be able to work on solving some problems. You can find out more on our website, aorn.org backslash peer-to-peer, or you can scan the QR code. I want to thank Rose and Jim for being with us tonight. And for you and the attendees, on behalf of the AORN Board of Directors and AORN staff, we so appreciate everything that you are doing every day. I hope you will continue to reach out to us and please take care of yourself. Good night. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with your colleagues, and we hope that you'll join us next time for Periop Talk.